0: Our children are more important than anything in the whole wide world. Can you say amen to that? More important than money, more important than careers, more important than possessions and far more important than pleasures. I will never forget and this is a little while ago now When I held my babies for the first time, when I say my babies, Beverly had a role in it also. (laughs) There's a wonder, isn't there? When you see a brand new little baby, brand new, and you think of all the possibilities, everything that can happen, then they grow up We have three children, David, who was with us today, Leanne and Julie, who are in San Francisco. But our house has been empty for the last 10 years. We have five bedrooms. And once it used to be filled with children. I say to the parents, make the very most of the time you have with your children because the years come and go. The little children that we see today will soon be adults tomorrow. My topic today is this, how to be a better mum and how to be a better dad. What we're going to do with your cooperation is share stories of real people like you and me who were mums and dads. Some were good, and some were bad. And I'm going to go today to the book of books, and I want you to open your Bibles now to the book of Exodus, chapter 1, and verse 22. As we think of Amram and Jochebed, they were the parents, as you all know, of the great Moses. Exodus, chapter 1, Exodus, the second book in the Bible. That concerns the greatest event up to that time, and that was the coming out of Egypt of the children of Israel. And if you turn to Exodus chapter one, verse twenty-two, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. It is quite likely that Pharaoh was Tutmosis the First. I have looked upon his face. He was a real man. But what sort of man, what sort of king would say, throw the babies in the river? Now chapter 2 says, Now a man of the house of Levi married a, a Levite woman. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. This was Amram and Jochebed. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. May I tell you, that would be a long time to hide a screaming or crying baby. How do you hide a baby for three months? But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister, who was that? Miriam, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. And we think that Pharaoh's daughter was Queen Hatshepsut. You've heard me talk about Queen Hatshepsut. We think this is Princess Hatshepsut. She goes down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. Who can doubt the leading and the providence of God? So she gets the the baby back. Verse 10. When the child grew older, she took him to be Pharaoh's. She took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, "I drew him out of the water." I want you to think about this, my dear friends. I want you to think about this. She had him only for such a short period of time. And then when he became of age, she had to take him to the palace. I guess that tore to her heart, don't you think? Go to the palace with your boy. This boy became the prince of Egypt. He became a mighty general, a mighty statesman, a mighty poet. He was the person who led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt through the Red Sea. He was the mighty prince who on Mount Sinai receives the Ten Commandments. He became the author of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In the history of the world, except for our Lord, he stands without a peer. He was the product of his parents, Amram and Jochebed. I can imagine his mother saying, I've got this boy only for a few years. I can imagine that she taught him about the creator God and she taught him to be honest and never to forget the fact that he was an Israelite and his first allegiance was never to the government but to God. A wonderful mother. I think mothers have the strongest influence upon the child. And you can do what she did. So she was a great mother and I think the man was a great father. But now I want you to consider another case, history. The man who was Israel's greatest king, singer, poet and warrior, not just an ordinary man. And I want you to turn over here to Second Samuel chapter 18 and verse 33 in the Holy Scriptures. Second Samuel chapter 18 and verse 33. And this is the story, as you have guessed, of King David, who was a king and also he was a father. I want you to notice the story. The king was shaken. He went up to the roof, went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I have died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. I think they are the saddest words in the whole of the Bible. These are the words of an indulgent father. A father who never learned to discipline his boy. Did he love his boy? Absolutely. And as I was thinking about this during this week and particularly late last night, I asked myself the searching question, what events led up to this dreadful tragedy? There is no tragedy, my friend, so horrible as the weeping of a parent over a dead child when they believe that that child is eternally lost. If you lose a child, the child is safe in the hands of God. You sorrow but not as others who have no hope but to cry out, Oh Absalom, my son, my son. He knew what Absalom was like, and Absalom was a waster. What events led up to this tragedy? You know the story, don't you, of David and Bathsheba? That's where it started. It was late in the day, and the king was looking out the window. And as he looked out the window, there was a woman taking a bath. Now we always say this shows you the evil of the king. It says also volumes about the character of the woman. He sees her and the Bible says not only is she beautiful but she is very beautiful. She's exquisite. And so the king sends a messenger. He sends her an email And she sends back a message, and she says, I am coming. And she comes, and they go to bed. And then later on, another story unfolds, related and unrelated. The king has a wonderful son whom he loves dearly. His name is Amnon, and he has a half-sister. Her name is Tamar. And Tamar is the sister of the ill-fated Absalom. And Amnon falls in love with his half-sister. He seeks some counsel. says, what should I do? And you know the story in the Bible. Pretend that you're sick and have this beautiful girl because the Bible says she was absolutely beautiful. And she comes in and she serves him food. And then he says, put all the servants outside. And the door is locked. And then he rapes her. And then after raping her, and these are the words that are used in the Bible. He says, get out of my sight, I detest you. So she goes out, a princess in Israel, weeping. And the Bible tells us, that when David the king heard about it that he was furious. But the New King James Version says, but because he loved his son, he didn't say anything to him. So his daughter is raped and he doesn't say anything. It's incredible. And Absalom is burning with resentment and hate. And so he puts on a party and invites all of the princes, including Amnon. And then at the, at the time when everybody is filled with joy and they're laughing and they're singing, he says, strike. And Amnon is killed. And Absalom is banished from the palace. The king says, go away. He is a spoilt child, and a spoilt child is the product of indulgent parents. Would you come now with me to First Kings? Now we do have a text in Kings. First Kings chapter one. and verses five and six. My dear friends. First Kings, chapter one and verses. 5 and 6, as today we're talking about how we can be better mums and dads. First Kings chapter 1, 5 and 6. Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never interfered with him by asking Why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. You notice what the Bible says? The king never interfered with his boy. Whatever the boy did was cute and funny. And the father never administered a rebuke. Let me tell you folks something. An undisciplined child will bring sorrow to himself and to his family. So Absalom is in exile, but after a period of time, the king decides to bring Absalom back. But is he grateful? Does he come to the king with love and gratitude? Does he show respect? No, he's burning inside. And the Bible tells us that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He said, if I were king, these awful things that are happening to you would not be happening to you. I would take care of you. And the Bible tells us that Absalom was perhaps one of the most gorgeous specimens of humanity that the world has ever seen. The Bible says when he had his hair cut, it weighed 200 shekels, many, many pounds of thick hair. And so everybody likes him because he is so suave and he is so cool. He's Mr. Nice, Mr. Wonderful. But he starts a great rebellion. And the king is driven from Jerusalem and he goes up the Mount of Olives weeping. And there's a terrible battle that is fought. You know the story. King David is a wily fighter, and he has a tremendous general whose name is Job, and Job wins the battle. And soon there are twenty thousand widows in Israel. Twenty thousand. Twenty thousand men are killed in the battle. Because of an indulgent father and a spoilt boy. And at the end of the day, Absalom is riding mule mule is galloping along and is going through an oak forest. So it's thundering along. He's got this great long hair and he's riding fast and he gets caught up. His hair even gets caught up in this great oak tree. Somebody comes to the king. No, he doesn't come to the king. He comes to Job, the general. The king is in his palace or he's in another place now. He's somewhere else. He's waiting to hear. He's not in his palace but he's waiting to hear the verdict of the battle. And so somebody comes and says to Job, Absalom is caught up in the oak tree. He said, what did you leave him? Did you leave him there? He says, yes, because the king said, as we marched out to battle, deal gently with the young man, Absalom, for my sake. He loves his boy, but love has to be tough. His love is not tough. His love is indulgent. Job was made of stronger stuff. He says, Take me to Absalom. And there he is alive and he's caught. And he says, Give me three javelins. They pass him three javelins. He throws one, two, three. He's pull him down, put stones over him, that cursed boy. He was the product of his home. David never rebuked, David never disciplined, David never interfered. There are parents like that today, everywhere. I can remember when I first became a minister, ministerial student, some forty years ago, going to a little church in Brisbane. Queensland, Australia, I pray God that it's changed. It was like going into Bedlam. As you've heard of a place called Bedlam in England of a hundred years ago or so, the children were running everywhere, up and down the aisles. Even children were running up around the pulpit during the sermon, and the parents were laughing and smiling. Isn't Tommy cute? No, Tommy's a brat and needs a smack. A child that is not disciplined will become a curse to his family and to society. I'm going to tell you a story now which of necessity must be camouflaged. It did not happen here. So do not try to find out where this happened. I was invited to pay a pastoral visit to in a large city in North America and I was invited for a meal. I wore a suit like this. I got out of my car, straightened my tie, I walked to the door, the door was opened, and immediately I was in saving Private Ryan. (laughs) I was in the midst of a war. I was taken in and I sat down at the table. I moved slightly and the chair moved with me. It stuck to me. The children, and I love children, climbed all over me. That was wonderful. I thought, they must like me. But I was soon covered with cake and jam and cheese. that seemed to be moldy. I opened my Bible, I preached in Siberia in a storm. That was nothing compared to this. That was a walk in the park. As I studied with the parents, they were shouting and screaming at the children, Don't do this! Don't do this! The children just ran back and forth. And then I became in the midst of a missile barrage pieces of food a leg of chicken went past my right ear I was trying to study with them on the state of the dead I spoke I was speaking soon at the velocity of a jumbo 747 but that was no match to the cumulative roar and they said to me aren't they cute Then the lady said to me, They're growing up. They're learning to express themselves. (laughs) There are lots of children like this. As somebody said, there are no delinquent children, only delinquent parents. There's some truth in that, not fully, but some truth. I heard recently in America there was a boy who stood on the overpass on the bridge over the freeway and as cars came along he dropped big rocks on them and they were hitting the windows and the windshields, all of that. People were running off the road and so somebody went up and performed a citizen's arrest. The police came and arrested this young man, took him down to the police station. The father arrived A VIP, a very irate person. He said, why are you discriminating against my son? I am being persecuted. We are being persecuted. The police put him on trial and charged him. The father, who knew what was going on, sued the police And then when the boy was sentenced and found guilty, he sued the judge. And he said to the boy, my boy, you're getting an introduction to real life, how some people are discriminated against. It has been said that there are two classes of people. There are whiners and winners. This man was turning his boy from being a potential Winner into a whiner. Let me come now to another story and I can tell it to you. The story of Abraham, Sarah, and who was the boy? Isaac. They waited a long time for this boy. How old was Abraham? Goodness, a hundred. How old was Sarah? About, about 90. And then when the boy grows up and is a, an active young man, strong and bronzed and athletic, God says, take this boy. And take him up to Mount Moriah. I've gone to the spot. Offer him there as a sacrifice, as a test of your faith. So as they go up the hill, Isaac turns to the old father and says, here is the wood, here is the fire, where is the lamb? The father says, God will provide a lamb. When they get up on the top of the mountain, the boy discovers he's the lamb strong the father is an old old man almost decrepit but he puts the boy down and the boy lies down he's obedient he doesn't fight or argue and the father lifts up the knife to slay the boy but the angel says no not only was it a test of faith for abraham it was a test of faith for the boy Abraham and Sarah may have committed many faults, not as many as most of us, but they had taught their boy discipline and obedience. Isaac is remembered as one of God's great leaders. I have visited homes in this church. I feel proud of the people. On Wednesday night I was in the home of Nellie and Eric And Nellie did something which was not very nice. I should tell it to the congregation. I'm told Nellie that I'm going to tell them about her today. She placed in front of me chocolate and peanut butter cookies this far from my nose and said, Have one. I did. And another one. But I noticed there that they're loving parents and they have three lovely daughters and two little girls. What a privilege to have those beautiful little girls who are up on the front here today and to train them up to be submissive and obedient and that is what they are doing. Now I want you to notice something and all the mothers here will understand what I'm saying. Fathers are important. We believe that we serve a function. (laughs) But no one has more influence than the mother. That is why it disturbs me that so many mothers have their children in daycare. Children are brought up by people who are absolute strangers to you. They could be atheists or communists or Marxists or liberals or whatever. I think unless it is an emergency, it is to be avoided at all costs. I know that there are some wives, because of circumstances, they've got to go to work. I'm talking about mothers. But I thank God that I had a mother who was waiting for me when I got home. I want you to come over here to Second Chronicles chapter 21. Now this is not to offend you, but it is to tell you I believe that you're very important and nobody can do the job that God has called you to, to do. I want you to come to 2nd Chronicles chapter 21. 2nd Chronicles chapter 21. And it's verse 20. Ready? Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. He passed away to no one's regret. Passed away to no one's regret because he was a waster and was buried in the city of David but not in the tombs of the kings because he wasn't worthy. Now verses 2 and 3. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem one year. His mother's name was Athaliah, a granddaughter of Omri. He too walked in the ways of the house of Ahab for his mother encouraged him in doing wrong. If you read on a little bit further, you'll find that this waster was executed for his sins and for her sins. I want to tell you that a mother has got the capacity to do great things, and she's got the great capacity to do bad things. Mrs. Carson was a poor black woman who lived in a big city in a dingy little home She had no husband. He'd left the children. One of her children was a boy by the name of Ben. Oh, I admire her. When he went to school, she'd say to him, Ben, don't you talk to me about being unable to achieve. I'm expecting that you'll get the very best grades. And she made him get A's. And if he didn't, then he got the spanker phone that was first used by Mrs. Adam Smith and used successfully ever since. The spanker phone. She taught him, seek to excel. Have you noticed that with young people today, there are those who have their noses in their books in the library And there are others outside the library who are playing ball. And the ones who are outside the library playing ball wonder why they never achieve. And they say, it's not fair we're discriminated against. That is true. They are discriminated against by themselves. But this lady didn't believe in that stuff. She was a little bit like our beloved president, President George Bush, whom I like very much. He is a man of many wonderful abilities, and not the least of his abilities is his capacity to invent new English words. (laughs) Our beloved president the other day was talking to a group, and I tell you, I really like him. He said, we're going to do gooder. And he said it three times. And Beverly and I said there is a new word for the Oxford English Dictionary. Gouda. First used by President George Bush of Texas. He said we're going to do gooder. What he meant was that we're going to do better. So I want to say to you today, this lady, like the president, believed that we can do gooder. So this boy, Ben Carson, became top in the high school. I don't think it was the world's greatest high school, but he got top. Because he got top, he got a scholarship. And he went to a great university. And to stay in that university, you've gotta be good. You can be sent to a great university because of some playing around with the rules. They can get you into a great university, but that doesn't mean you're going to do good. But he was placed in this great university and he came to the top of his class, a minority. The top of the class in the medical school. Now others were crying, were victims of poverty, were victims of racism. Ben didn't have time to think about that. He had his nose in his book studying. I want to say to every young person who was watching this program, don't be a whiner, be a winner. Amen. Don't look for false in society to say I can't do it. You know, I can say to all of you here today, I am the biggest minority in your church. I am a minority. I don't I'm not an American. I don't have citizenship but I believe that in this country it is so good that you can be what you want to be with God's help. But don't be a whiner. Be a winner. Then after graduating, he had some difficulties in America being accepted and he went over to Australia and went to West Australia and went to the Great Perth Hospital And the first Sabbath he was there, he sought out an Adventist church and he wondered, how will these white Australians accept me, a black American? Are they all racist? Because they've probably never seen anybody like me. But he said they put their arms around him and all the time he was there, several years, he never ate at home on Sabbath. And he got his breakthrough in medicine in Australia. And when he was very successful, he came back to America. And he is acclaimed today as one of the greatest neurosurgeons in the world. He is a world beater. And you know who's largely responsible? Mrs. Carson, a great mother. And time will fail me to tell of parents like Mary and Joseph Elizabeth and Zechariah and I could put the names of parents who are in my church in this list who through faith taught their children to be successful and to work hard. Listen parents, we live in desperate days, we certainly do. And the desperate days in which we live demand that we put forth extraordinary effort to save our children. We live in a violent society. Don't ask me why this is so. But I read in Time Magazine this week that our society in America is 12 times more violent than Canada. You've got 12 times more chance of being mugged or raped or shot here than in Canada. I don't understand all the reasons for that. But I do know that violence and vice are glorified and we must fight back. I think of video games and many parents are so undedicated to their children and so irresponsible that they let their children have a computer and look at anything. That is the babysitter. And the video games, many of them are filled with violence, chopping off people's heads. That's what we're teaching people to do. And you may say, well, I've looked at that stuff all my life. Well, then I would say to you, you need to look at yourself and see what sort of person you have become. I was in Costco the other day shopping up for Christmas this is the highlight of my life, going to Costco. <laughs> it's like winning an Emmy Award for me. And I was standing there looking at some CD plays. I've only just discovered there are CD plays. My car has got a CD player in it. My wife will tell you I had it for months before I discovered where it was. It's hidden there behind a panel. But as I was standing there looking at all of this stuff, trying to look technically... Competent. The music was blaring away in my ears. It was rap. Filthy. Violent. Cursing women. The product of sick minds. And young people who listen to this stuff are being changed from intelligent... Caring people into vicious thugs. I have no sympathy for the rap. It is an impure society. As you know, I don't have a computer. Uh, Everybody I know has one. Everybody in my office has one. But I do know, I've been told, that on the internet you can get anything, every evil, every vice, pornography, child pornography, and the works. Lots of people look at it. If your children look at this, it's going to deprave them. We live in a materialistic society. This is the center of capitalism for good and bad. Where society moves because of greed. We've seen the awful spectacle of CEOs. Who have been so dishonest that they have... Fired 20, 30,000 employees while building homes for 100 million in Florida. We do not respect them. Nobody respects them. But we should teach our children it's more blessed to give than to receive. And a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. You and I and our children are bombarded with this all the time. We must resist. And therefore I say, let us give our children all the care, all the time, all the devotion, all the love and the discipline that they deserve. Let us not be like David, indulgent, or the mother of Isaiah, but rather like Amram and Jacobed, Abraham and Sarah, like Mrs. Carson. Let us do this. Let us reestablish the family altar like Abraham. Let us have family worship and teach the children that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Let us make religion, God's religion, the center of our lives and make it for the children a fun time. Don't push, ram, Ideas down throats, love them. Let us go with our children to church. I'm amazed that people send their children to church. What an example you're setting to your children. You don't go, but you send your children. You're sending a message, God doesn't matter. One day, you may regret your course. Then there are those who say, But my daughter has a sporting fixture. She's not at church today. But God will understand. He will understand. He certainly will. He'll understand your act of treachery to your child. Go with your children to church. Let us dare to discipline our children in love. In love. Let us be warm, loving, caring, forgiving, and understanding. Let our homes be filled with love. Let us be vigilant with television and the computers and the music. And let us never give up. It's not over until it's over, and then it's not over. Lost boys and girls are never hopeless. If mums and dads, pray for them. Our children are more important than anything in all the world. Therefore, let us, by God's grace, be the best mums and dads that we can be because they deserve it. Amen. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we thank you for the miraculous gift of life. We thank you that you've given to the human family that which you did not give to angels the ability to bring human beings, other creatures into the world. We thank you for the boys and the girls in this church. Oh God, protect those boys and those girls. And speak to the hearts of the mums and the dads that they will love their children not just with verbiage, not just with talk, but in deeds and looks, in actions. Bless every little child in this church. Bless every parent. And help us, dear Father, to be all that you want us to be. We thank you that you promised to save our children. Save us, dear Lord, that we might be used by you to save the children in our midst, the babies, the boys and the girls, our precious teenagers, all of us, dear Father. Save us at last with an everlasting salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.